Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor David Lindell, Executive Ministry Pastor at James River Church. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, we are going to jump in to a topic that I've titled the talk that we're going to hear just for the next couple of moments. We're going to spend our time growing in godliness, growing in godliness, and it comes out of something that the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. If you don't know about the relationship between Paul and Timothy, Paul was Timothy's mentor, and so godly older pastor pouring into a younger pastor, and this relationship is so cool and so powerful in this sense that all of us should have somebody who's ahead of us, that you're, you're linked up with in life, who's encouraging you, pointing you in the right direction, and fueling a, a pursuit of God, fueling a growth in the deep things of God, and you're growing in godliness. And so this is the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Paul writes two letters to Timothy that we have recorded for us in Scripture, and the first one is titled 1 Timothy. And Paul, in this letter to Timothy, says a lot of things. He covers a lot of ground about the the life of a pastor and a shepherd and how that dynamic plays out in the local church and things that Timothy should be aware of. And Paul gives some instruction to some people in the letter he writes to Timothy. But it's not until chapter 4 of 1 Timothy that Paul gives Timothy a command. So we know something is a command in Scripture because the New Testament is written in Greek, and when we find something in the imperative in the Greek text, that is clearly a command by the writer to the recipient. And especially when it's directed, in this case, specifically to that person. And so Paul has some imperatives to a few different groups of people, but he doesn't give Timothy an imperative until chapter 4. And this is what he says to Timothy. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. I love that. As it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. So what Paul is saying to Timothy is, you know what, you can go to the gym every day, you can do CrossFit, you can cut carbs, you can go keto, and there's some value in that. There's some value there. It's not a bad thing to do. To worry or to watch, you know, watch your weight, exercise, all of that's great, eat healthy, two thumbs up. That's got value in some way. But training yourself for godliness, well, godliness has value in every way. There's no part of your life that the pursuit of godliness will not touch in a positive way. Okay, I don't think you heard me. There is no part of your life that you training yourself in godliness won't impact in a positive way because it holds promise for the present life, i.e. today. It holds promise. There is a promise attached to godliness in your life today. If you get serious about pursuing God, if you get serious about going deep in Him, 
There's promise there. There's promise for the present life. And there's promise for the life to come. Godliness holds promise. And I want to put some definition around the idea of godliness because I realize there are a lot of different people in terms of backgrounds in the room, people are watching online. And so if we went around the room, we might define godliness in a bunch of different ways. But I want to make it really street level and simple. Godliness is passion for God in action. Godliness is a passion for God in action. And when you look at different people who show up in the pages of Scripture, you see how this plays out in a life. In fact, there's a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Enoch. And for those who haven't read a lot of the Old Testament, part of what you find, especially in the book of Genesis, in proximity to the creation account, is that people lived a long time. Why? Because the effects of the fall and the curse that sin introduced into the world had not wreaked as much havoc or had had as much time to wreak as much havoc on the gene pool. And so Enoch, as you're going to see in this passage in Genesis, and we'll go to it, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Catch this. Enoch walked with God and he was not. That's an interesting end to a story. Enoch walked with God, and then he was not, for God took him. In other words, Enoch was just living his life, 365 years young, just enjoying it. He had other sons and daughters. He's a dad, probably a grandpa, I would assume. And at this point, Methuselah's probably had some kids. Maybe their kids have had some kids. And yet, all of a sudden, people go, have you seen Enoch today? Nope, haven't seen him. Actually, I did see him. He was walking that way. Funniest thing, I didn't, I saw him and he was gone. Enoch walked with God and then he was not for God took him. Why would God do that? Why did God take him? Well, skip to the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says this. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and he was not found. In other words, people looked for him. And we're like, there was a search party for Enoch. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. There are a couple of things that you read both in Genesis and then when you follow it up by what the writer of Hebrews says, two characteristics, two qualities that defined Enoch's existence. He walked with God and he pleased God. He walked with God, and he pleased God. In fact, the word that we get godliness from, that is translated godliness in English, means devotion, devotion to God. That's Enoch. He was devoted to God. His life was about pleasing God. That was his pursuit. That was his aim. Paul, interestingly, in Corinthians, right into Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 9 says, so whether we are home or away, home being with the Lord, away, our present life, we make it our aim to do what? To please him. We make it our aim to be like Enoch, to walk with God, to please God, to grow in our devotion to him. To grow in godliness. So the question is, 
if that's the aim, if this is, if this is the aim of the existence of every person, it should be the aim of the existence of every person that God has ever created. If this is the aim of the life of faith to please God, to grow in godliness, how do you do that? I want to give you four quick keys to growing in godliness that we see often communicated by the Apostle Paul, but in the pages of Scripture. And the first is this. Godliness grows when we say no to certain things. Godliness grows when we say no to certain things. There are certain things in this life that the Holy Spirit will put his finger on and say, that's not for you. That's below what I have for you. Now, that's absolutely true of anything that falls in the category of sin. We know that. Like, and, I, and at first, I titled this point, to be honest. This is like a fourth rendition or fifth rendition of this point. But the second to last rendition of this point was godliness grows when we say no to sin. And that's absolutely true. Godliness does grow when we say no to sin. And if you're not saying no to sin on a regular basis, then you're going to have a hard time growing in godliness. Okay? So that, but we all, I think we all get that. That when, when sin is present and it, it's not said no to, it's not rejected, it becomes very hard to go deep in the things of God. In fact, read what Paul writes to Titus. For the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us. So remember, we're training for godliness, but the grace of God trains us. Do you know that the grace of God has a training effect in your life? I love that. That God's grace, when you're exposed to God's grace, when you walk in the grace of God, when you think about the grace of God, when you celebrate the grace of God, that proximity to grace has a training effect in your life. And it trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. There's something about the grace of God that trains us to say no, to renounce godliness. Some of you have things. We've talked about the power of deliverance and that God wants to deliver you out of things that are kind of present in your past, as it were. Sometimes God needs to deliver us out of things that are present in our present. But some of you have things generationally that went on in your family, in your lineage, and you need to renounce those things. You need to say, not me. Okay, that was then, this is now, and I'm walking with God. And I'm saying no to that. I'm saying not on my watch. It ends here. A new legacy, a new day. Some of you need to do that. You need to renounce it. Some things need to be renounced presently that you've let into your home and into your heart. There are some things, some habits, some attitudes, some practices that you need to say, I'm done with that. I'm going to renounce ungodliness and the grace of God has given me an awareness and honestly put me on an exercise regimen so I can do that. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. There are things that we're going to say no to. In fact, um, years ago, in, in high school actually, I, my dad would travel and speak, still does, and one of the fun things about being a preacher's kid, a PK, is that you get to go on trips, like, you know, fly across the country, and he's preaching, and you get to just kind of be a, a fly on the wall in these environments, and one of the places he was preaching was Brooklyn Tabernacle, this 
a storied church where God has done so many powerful things, pastored by Jim and Carol Cimbala, and they still pastor that church today. But we were there, and my dad was preaching the prayer meeting at Brooklyn Tabernacle in the heart of Brooklyn, packed, standing room only, uh, auditorium, and um, actually that night we were visiting, and he was doing some other ministry, but on that particular night, Pastor Jim preached. And in the sermon that we got to listen and be a part of in the room, in the middle of it, he, he talked about how when he was younger, he came across a track. Who knows what a track is? Like a gospel track. Some of you, most of you are like, I have no idea what that is. It's a piece of paper that talks about Jesus and people used to pass them out. So doesn't really, I think tracks, God used them in a powerful way. I think it's even better when you personally tell somebody about Jesus. But then there were tracks that were just kind of about the life of faith. And in this one, um, it talked about the things that in the life of a believer, sometimes the Holy Spirit will put his finger on things and say, hey, it may be cool for other people to do that, or you may see other Christians doing that, but that's not for you. Like, I've called you to something. The purpose and the plan that I've got for your life means that you're going to have to say no to other things, no to some things that people say yes to, even if they're following Jesus. And you need to not go, why do I have to do that? You need to embrace that as part of the calling of God on your life. And he, I remember he talked about this track, and he actually pulled it out of his pocket and he showed it, and he said, I've been carrying this in my wallet for, for decades. So after the service, we went back to his office. We were visiting with him. And the, it was so moving to me that I actually asked Pastor Jim, even though this, this track was like scotch-taped and like all folded up and old, and he, he, I knew, I thought, this probably doesn't have any more of those. But I said, hey, do you, do you have any more of those? I feel like that really resonated with me. And he said, actually, I have five of them, um, but I don't have, it's out of print. And he said, I will give you one. And for years, I've had that track. And it looks just like this. And here's, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but I want you to listen to what this says. If God has called you to really be like Jesus... He will draw you into a life of crucifixion and humility and put upon you such demands of obedience that you will not be able to follow other people or measure yourself by other Christians. And in many ways, he will seem to let other good people do things he will not let you do. The Holy Spirit will put a strict watch over you with a jealous love, and he will rebuke you for little words or feelings or wasting your time, which other Christians never seem to be distressed over. So make up your mind that God is infinitely sovereign, and he has the right to do what he pleases with his own. He may not explain to you a thousand things which puzzle your reason in his dealings with you, but if you absolutely sell yourself to him, he will wrap you up in his jealous love and bestow upon you many blessings which only come to those who are in the inner circle. And here's the thing. The reason why I held on to that and the reason why I wanted it is I knew that God had something for me, and I believe he has it for every person in this room and every person watching online. There are things that if you want to go deep in, in God, 
and you want to see him do all that he wants to do in your life, there are things you will have to say no to that others will seemingly be able to say yes to. And that's okay. It's okay. Your responsibility is to say yes to him. Your responsibility is to be sensitive to him. And here's what I would say about sensitivity. There's sometimes where you'll hear believers and somebody will say, oh, I, I, I don't really, I don't listen to things like that. Or, you know, you're invited to go to a movie. It's like, uh, yeah, I, I don't really watch things like that. And the response will be, oh, well, that, yeah, that stuff doesn't really bother me. As if that's some sort of badge of spiritual maturity. The fact that it doesn't bother you is not a badge of maturity. It's a sign of immaturity. Because the most mature believers are the most sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. If things don't bother you anymore like they used to, you're going backwards. Here's what happens in the life of faith. As you get closer to God and you're exposed more and you're more aware of the holiness of God, that holiness causes you to shrink back from sin and you get more distance from the world. You don't get more proximity to it. It changes. If you're less sensitive than you used to be, you should be afraid. But if in your walk you find yourself more caught when you say th something they used to say all the time, or you're watching something and all of a sudden you feel like, I should turn this off, or you're listening to something and you're like, man, that's not helping my soul then you can know the Holy Spirit is doing a deep work in your heart and he is calling you close to him, which is exactly where you want to be. Because there are things in the inner circle that you don't experience anywhere else. And he loves you and wants to do powerful things in you and through you. So godliness, growing in godliness, begins by saying no to certain things. But godliness also grows through accessing God's power. This is a simple truth, but it's very, very important. Peter says in 2 Peter, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You know what? God says, my glory I won't share with another, but you can get close to it. And godliness is the way that happens. And here's the thing. Some of us have bought into the lie, well, I can't be godly like they're godly. I can't walk the way that they walk. I mean, I just, I've, I always mess up. I always stumble. Here's the thing. His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. You can. You can be godly. You can walk close to God. Don't let the enemy tell you you can't because you can. Embrace that promise because it's through that promise you access God's power, and it's through his power that you go deep in him. So godliness grows through accessing his power. Number three, godliness grows out of a reverence for God. When you see the holiness of God, when you're aware of the holiness of God, it creates an awe in you, and out of that, holiness and godliness grows in you. You know what? Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, for you do not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, 
Abba, Father. So there's this nearness. We say our Father who art in heaven. It's this, this loving, fatherly relationship with God. It's this nearness. It's this affection. That's wonderful. But also, the writer of Hebrews says this. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Here's the thing. God is a loving heavenly Father. He affiliates with us that way. He receives us that way. He allows us to walk with him that way. But don't allow that image to so consume and so define the way that you view God that you forget he is also a consuming fire. Here's the thing. We get familiarity with God, which is a gift. But as we approach him, we approach him with an awareness that he is holy. He is awesome. He is mighty. He is a consuming fire. Think about what Paul says. Because he writes this to Timothy in chapter 6. He says, Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light. Unapproachable light. But it's into that light that the Holy Spirit beckons us. But it's an awareness of that light that allows us to enter with the right posture. We enter his gates. Why? Because he's a king. We draw near to him, but we draw near to him with a holy reverence and an awe. First Peter, look at this. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, be holy as I am holy. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. There's that reverence, that awe of God. Here's the thing. And if you fear God, you don't have to fear God. You don't have to be afraid of God if you approach him in awe, in reverence, acknowledging who he is. Then finally, godliness grows. And this is how we're going to come into the altar. Godliness grows from a desire for God. God, I want more of you. God, I want, I want to be as close to you as I can possibly be. God, draw me close to you. Draw me close to you, because that's the place I want to live. Can I ask you, is that your desire? Is that your heart's cry? Because the pages of Scripture are replete with that cry. The psalmist says in Psalm 42, 1, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Oh God, I'm hungry for you. God, I desire you. God, I want to walk close to you. God, how can I be as close to you 
as I can possibly be. Think about what Paul says to the Philippians. Paul writes this, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Is that where you're at? God, everything else pales in comparison. I just want to know you. I just want to be close to you. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them as garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. You know what? God honors that cry. God honors that heart. You may have come in and you say, we're talking about godliness. This is the worst possible subject for me because I fail and I've faltered and I'm so far away from godliness. You know what? If you'll say tonight, God, I desire you and I'm hungry for you. God, will you work in me? Guess what the answer will be? Yes. He'll start something in you. He'll ignite a fire in you. It'll change everything. And there are some, and you've walked with God for decades, and yet God's passion and desire and heart for his people is that they would never stop pursuing him. But tonight in his presence, if you're a Christian who started at 16 and you're 68, his call to you is draw close to me. If you'll draw close to me, I'll draw closer to you. I've got more for you. The question is, what do you desire? Because if you desire him, he'll meet you. If you desire him, he'll work in you. And if you desire him, he'll speak to you. And if you desire him, he'll draw you into the inner circle. If you desire him.